Before we get to the show, I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll like from our friends at the Roosevelt Institute and the New Republic. It's called How to Save a Country, hopefully ours, and it explores how a big part of the progressive vision for America's future is economic. It digs into the concepts and conflicts reshaping our nation and introduces the thinkers, doers, and organizers who are working to make the U.S. a more democratic and just place to live. People who are connecting the dots between economics, law, and politics. Hosts Felicia Wong and Michael Tomaski, both former Pitchfork guests, bring you the good news and the big ideas that point to a less fractured, more stable, more equal future. You can find How to Save a Country wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As our regular listeners might expect, really rich people like to collect things, you know, expensive trinkets like fancy cars, houses, uh, illegitimate children. And our benevolent plutocratic overlord, Nick Hanauer, is no different, except what he likes to collect is uh, ex-alt-weekly journalists (laughs) like me and my co-host, for today's episode, Paul Constant. Hi. Hello, Paul. That was probably the best introduction I've ever had in my life, Goldie. Yeah, Thanks. Paul yeah. and I first met when we both worked at The Stranger, where uh, he was the books and sandwich editor, which mm-hmm. makes him the perfect uh, stand-in or sit-in for Nick on uh, this year's uh, summer reading list episode. So, Paul, I'm sure the audience wants to know, what sandwiches are you eating this summer? (laughs) Well, if you're in Seattle, I always recommend Paseo, which is just a delightful (laughs) sandwich. Uh, Yeah, I I had a column in The Stranger, which is an alt-weekly in Seattle, uh, where I did review sandwiches. Uh, But more importantly, for the purposes of this episode, I uh, wrote about books uh, every week uh, for The Stranger, and uh, then on my own site, The Seattle Review of Books, and I still write about books pretty frequently for the Seattle Times. So uh, I am the, uh, if you need something read quickly, I'm I'm the man on the Civic Ventures team to get it done. And if you need something written slowly, I'm the man <laughs> on the Civic Ventures team to get it done. Uh, well, so, so I guess uh, r- right off the bat, Paul, I understand there's a really great book coming out, what, this September? That's right. This September, uh, it's very exciting. There is a book coming out called Corporate Bullshit. And as is the fashion in publishing today, uh, bullshit is spelled with an asterisk in place of the (laughs) I uh, in the title. Uh, Corporate Bullshit, exposing the lies and half-truths that protect profit, power, and wealth in America. And it is a book with uh, three authors, and one of whom is our very own Nick Hanauer. It's also co-written by uh, Joan Walsh of The Nation and uh, Donald Cohen. And it is an encyclopedia of, well, corporate bullshit. Uh, Basically, (laughs) (laughs) all of the lies that big industries have told over the course of the history of America uh, in order to convince ordinary Americans that what's best for industry is also good for ordinary Americans. Things like, uh, you know, 
keeping child labor legal, keeping cigarettes unregulated, uh, you know, preventing the unnecessary expense of seatbelts, things like that. And right. it's, uh, yeah. Regulations, you know, kill growth and productivity and uh, raising the minimum wage kills jobs. Uh, it turns out that, you know, if we if we ban child labor, I mean, U.S. industry is going to collapse. There's no way we can be competitive with uh, other nations. And it turns out that these aren't new. These have been recycled for the past uh, 150 years. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a really exciting. I've never seen all of these lies in one place like this before. Um, it's a really sort of a stunning uh, document when you put it all together. You see how little the arguments have changed and how long this has been going on. And so it's, it's a really interesting. I think it'll also be a really useful toolkit for people when they're confronted with you know, Chamber of Commerce hacks who say that raising the minimum wage will only hurt the very people it is intended to help and things like that. Right. And so it's coming out. This is a summer reading list, uh, but it's coming out late summer, September. You can pre-order it now, right? Is that right, Paul? You can. That's absolutely right. You can order it on you can uh, go Bookshop. To your, your, yeah, your favorite local bookstore or your favorite uh, online monopoly, if that's what how you want to spend your money. Mm-hmm bookshop.org uh you can also order it from amazon and barnes and noble and all the usual suspects or you can put in a hold at your uh local public library because those things do count libraries buy the books just like everybody else so if you want to help out and you're you know hurting for funds uh it is always useful to request a book from the public library that's a little uh publishing insider tip for you there and i get a lot of my books from the library. We've, we are fortunate in Seattle to have two very fine library systems, the Seattle Public Library and the King County Library System. Uh, and we can, because we live in both, we can get books from both. And I, I honestly, I've admitted this before, most of the books I get are audiobooks. Because mm -hmm. I tend to do a lot, I tend to read a lot of heavy non-fiction stuff and I'll do it on my walks and gardening and while cooking and whatever. And I'm going to start, Paul, this is not a surprise to you, no, but would otherwise be a surprise. I listened to a fiction book last huh? year that mm -hmm. I liked a lot and I highly recommend. It is The Ministry for the Future. We've had the author on the podcast, Kim Stanley Robinson. It not only was like my first novel in 25 years, but, you know, it's ostensibly about climate change, but really, really, it's a secret. It's about economics. <laughs> Kim Stanley Robinson is, is an amazing sci-fi author, one of the most sort of thoughtful and thorough thinkers, I think, in the field of science fiction uh, today, because uh, he really drills down into a subject and he, he, he takes it all very seriously. He wrote an amazing trilogy about Mars, uh, life on Mars, uh, moving to Mars, and it's uh, what we call hard science fiction. It's very detailed and it's uh, it's also very informative. And uh, yeah, in Ministry of the Future, I agree with you, it's just uh, really hopeful. And um, Well, uh, it, it ends hopeful. It starts sure. pretty it starts pretty dark. It takes a while to get to the hope. Yeah, um, yeah. but it's also it's a it's a very unorthodox narrative uh structure to the book, uh mm -hmm. which I found interesting in itself. Uh obviously the storyline, his vision of the future, but also what a 
cogent and easy explanation of some really complex economic ideas, how much economics is responsible for the looming climate crisis and how much uh, economics, rethinking economics is necessary to address it and hopefully survive it. So yeah. highly recommend that. I I'm going to surprise you with another one quick before we get to your uh, some of uh, the books that are coming out this summer. Mm -hmm. um, I read, Paul, this is a surprise, I read another uh, fiction author, uh, another speculative fiction author, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't a work of fiction. It was a work of nonfiction. Okay. Uh, China Mielville, Mieville, mm -hmm. China Mieville. Are you familiar with him? I, I've done an event with China Mieville. He was a great guy. I read his book, A Spectre Haunting, mm -hmm. which is a... Um, a deep dive, a beautifully written deep dive into the Communist Manifesto and why it's still relevant today. And I know there are critics who will accuse me and Nick of being socialists. We are not socialists. We are not <laughs> communists. But I've always loved the Communist Manifesto. It is a beautifully written book and it is surprisingly pertinent to what's going on in the world today. There's there's a lot of insight in it, and there's a lot of insight into Mieville's uh, deep exploration of the book. And and Mieville, again, is another one of those sci-fi authors who is very economically focused. He began his career as kind of like a Dickensian figure. His book, uh, Perdido Street Station, feels like uh, it could be like a Dickens novel set in space with uh, bug-headed people and things like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, a really thoughtful uh, economic thinker. I haven't read this one in particular. Uh, he puts out a lot of books, but I'm very interested, too. So that'll that'll go on my list, too. If you had to recommend one for me, Paul, which one should I read this summer? What's my beach reading this summer if I want a China Mieville book? Boy, so... Like, I'm going to buy a physical copy and read it on the beach. <laughs> of a China Mieville novel? I would recommend The City in the City. It's a spy thriller that is sort of like a Cold War era thing, uh, only it takes place in the city... The city is divided by invisible borders within the city. So uh, people in the city aren't allowed to interact with people on the other side of this 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 border in the city. It's a very psychological look at the Cold War, uh, sort of an exploration of the arbitrariness of borders. Um, but it's also a super solid spy thriller, too, that I, I recommend to anybody. He was... Okay. Uh, yeah, when I did the event with him, he was out here for uh, touring to support that book. And, and it's it's one of my favorites. And it's the one I usually recommend to people who are, you know, either not super into sci-fi or are uh, getting back into writing novels, reading novels again like you. Great. I will take your advice. I will get a physical copy of that book and maybe a pair of reading glasses for the first time because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and sit on the beach and read that book this summer. When I go to the Jersey Shore, as I do every summer. Uh, okay, Paul, so speaking of summer, what's coming up? What are you looking forward to? One thing that I want our listeners to know about uh, that is coming out in paperback, so it's a little bit more of an affordable choice, is uh, Kim Kelly's book, Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor. Uh, that comes out in paperback this August, so still time for you to take it to the beach. I read it in hardcover. It's, it's a really wonderful book that sort of examines the idea of the fight for labor and workers in America 
that for instance uh freed black women freed black slaves uh were were among the first uh workers to sort of organize in america and and fight for their rights as workers um there's uh jewish immigrant garment workers asian american field workers it's sort of a history of the american worker that decentralizes uh the story of you know white men working in factories pulling together as unions and it tells the story of you know these are people who always have to fight for their rights and so it stands to reason that they were sort of the four mothers and and forefathers of the American labor movement. So it's it's a really inspiring book, I think, uh, and it's a really eye opening look into American history uh, in in a way that in a, from an angle that a lot of people didn't get in their you know high school or college uh, labor history classes. That sounds that sounds like something I'm going to have to read. Yeah. Yeah, and that one is out. That one is out in audio and in hardcover. So if you're looking for something uh, to to ah. listen to on the flight, then you can you can get that one already. Or, um, or on one of my long walks. What what else are you looking forward to? There are a few books that I'm looking forward to. One of which uh, I think is really going to appeal to fans of Nick and what N- Nick does. Uh, it is called Rich White Men: What It Takes <laughs> to Uproot the Old Boys Club and Transform America. And the interesting angle on this is uh, the author, his name is Garrett Neiman. He's a serial nonprofit entrepreneur. Uh, and so his job for many years was to get rich white men to donate money to uh, to non nonprofit organizations. So he's been in you know the corner offices of Goldman Sachs and and McKinsey and and Harvard and and all the places that uh, you know rich white men have uh, have have felt comfortable for centuries and so this is kind of a tell-all about you know the the methods that they use to protect their wealth the ways that they keep other people outside of their system and the ways that they will try to keep the system going for as long as they possibly can so if you're into insidery accounts and and chances are if you're listening to this podcast you you do uh this one (laughs) this one is right up at the top of my summer reading list Okay, another one, because, you know, I, I'm always trying to understand Nick and his people better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, this 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 will give you some insight, I think. Okay, so speaking of the uh, uh, 0.1%, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to recommend a book that's actually a couple years old. Are you like me, Paul? Do you get into authors where, like, yeah. you read one of their books, and then you have to read all of their books? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah. so... Last summer reading list, I recommended Matthew Stewart's Nature's God, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, it seems like a weird book for this. It's it's about, uh, amongst other things, Ethan Allen, but also the Enlightenment philosophy that inspired the Founding Fathers and how it's not necessarily what uh, some of us think. Uh, he has a more recent book, which I actually reread recently. I've read it twice now in the past couple of years. It's called The 9.9%, The New Aristocracy That Is Entrenching Inequality and Warping Our Culture. So rather than named at the 0.1%, uh, which is Nick, which he mentions, which still have play a big role in inequality, uh, mm. he talks about the rest of that top 10%. The, uh, as he says, the uh, white coats and white shoes, uh, the professional class, the financial class, uh, who uh, are playing a big role in 
uh, perpetrating the inequality that is tearing this nation apart and uh, ultimately undermining the 9.9% too. I think a lot of our listeners who uh, will see themselves in this book, in the people he describes, I certainly saw myself in it and my own family. My father was a doctor. Uh, and uh, the way we were raised and the way we've raised our children, it's a beautifully written book at times. He, he, he starts it off with some personal narrative, which he weaves throughout the book. So it's a, a book about him and uh, his family as well. Uh, highly recommended, uh, really insightful, very in tune with the type of stuff that we're thinking about, talking about, writing about, uses a little different language in in spots, but uh, very much a fellow traveler on economics. That sounds great. To change gears a little bit, uh, an underappreciated tradition of summer for me is a summer hate read. Um, <laughs> when I, uh, you know, make a point of reading like, you know, a Glenn Beck thriller or a, uh, you know, a, a book by a uh, prominent Republican politician or something like that. I don't know what it is, but it's something that I really enjoy doing when I'm trying to relax. It's to probably relax. a yeah. Yeah. To relax. Not to I, arm I, yourself. <laughs> no, well, a little bit of that as well, but it is something that I enjoy doing on vacation. I can't exactly explain why, except for I see these books in other travelers' hands on airplanes and things like that. So maybe I just want to get into the mindset of what they're thinking or something like that. So to call this a summer hate read, it might sound a little um, uh, a little unkind to the author, but uh, I think you'll understand when you hear it. It's uh, called When the President Calls, Conversations with Economic Policymakers. It's by Simon W. Bowman. <laughs> And it features interviews with 35 economic policymakers who served presidents from Nixon to Trump. So I'm fairly certain that 35 economic policymakers of the 35, I probably won't agree with any of them, maybe one. I don't know. Um, even the the economic policymakers who worked for uh, Clinton and Obama were uh, fairly neoliberal. But I, I am really into hearing the justifications of uh, why they made the decisions that they did, what they think about their economic actions in hindsight and all that. But I'm sure I'm going to be enraged uh, multiple times when I'm reading this book. But I'm kind of looking forward to that. It'll fill my, my summer hate reading slot for sure. Ah, hate reading. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to recommend it. Well, maybe recommend this book, but I recently reread uh, Milton Friedman's Capitalism and Freedom. Yeah. Uh, which I'd never actually read cover to cover before. Man, what a brilliant, <laughs> manipulative propagandist he is. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, if you want to want to understand where we are, how we got into the neoliberal era, and the arguments un underlying it, uh, gosh, uh, it's uh, this is Milton Friedman's world, and <laughs> it is his arguments are so cleverly dishonest. Mm -hmm. You know me, uh, back when I was blogging, I liked to do a good fisking. You know, I you I could take this entire book line by line and and criticize it. Like th there is an untruth hiding behind in the subtext of of every paragraph of that book. It's it's pretty amazing. So were you were you quivering with rage or were you uh, taking notes to steal uh, some of his techniques? Notes. Yeah, um. uh, I was. I mean, that's why I was reading it. I was trying to be constructive. Uh, you know, he he famously 
you know, talked about how, how we got into this was when we got the, the economic crisis of the 1970s, the stagflation, uh, he basically said, you know, th they'd been working on this for a few decades and it was time for a new idea and they were the ones prepared. They had, they had their narrative down pat. They had been refining it and they were ready to go and that's the one that took hold in the 1970s because the old Keynesians had nothing else. There was no alternative at that point, and they won. They won the ideological war by just being ready for it. And to some extent, I believe that's what we've been doing at Civic Ventures and with uh, a lot of our allies is we've been preparing for the moment I think we're in now where we've got the better ideas. We have an alternative as to how I explanation of how the economy works and how it works better. Uh, and so, yeah, I look to people like Milton Friedman for both uh, inspiration and as a lesson for how to change the world, hopefully this time for the better. So another category of book that I enjoy reading in the summer vacation uh, period is the uh, current events book, uh, the sort of thing that's too long to be in the newspaper, but just as relevant to to what's going on in the conversation. And there's a book coming out late July that I'm very excited to read. Uh, the author is going on tour. He's going to be in Seattle, I think, at Third Place Books on July 27th. And I think he's doing uh, at least a West Coast tour. So check your local bookstores for that. But it's called uh, Essential, How the Pandemic Transformed the Long Fight for Worker Justice. It's an exploration, of course, of the early days of the pandemic when we were all locked down and uh, we were, you know, uh, celebrating essential workers who were delivering food from grocery stores and uh, delivering packages and making sure that everyone who was working at home, working from home, had everything they needed, uh, you know, and also the uh, the healthcare workers and the janitors and the, the public transit drivers and just everybody who we have traditionally, you know, paid less and kept at the margins of society, who suddenly became the heroes of society. I mean, I would argue they've always been the heroes of society, but were recognized as the heroes of society for maybe the first time in my life. And, uh, you know, we have not seen that sort of celebration continue as rich people get back into the business of uh, protecting their profits and uh, not giving out raises. So I am interested in reading this book and seeing how we can keep that momentum going uh, because it is still in people's memories, even though it was, you know, three years ago uh, that, that the lockdowns were happening. So I am super excited to read this book and to see how we can sort of uh, instantiate some of that goodwill that was built up and, and turn it into policy that actually helps the workers who are truly the people who make sure that society doesn't collapse, basically, not the not the investment bankers and, uh, you know, CEOs, but but the delivery drivers and the cleaners and the warehouse workers. Uh, I think historians will be looking back on the pandemic as a um, as the tipping point in terms of uh, how we think about economics in general. I mean, we were we were moving there anyway. This put us over the top. And a lot of things about the pandemic really have changed attitudes and changed thinking. So that, that sounds like a, an interesting book. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. I hope to to catch the author when he's when he's in town. And uh, I bet on the publisher's website, which we will, um, if we find it, we'll throw it in the show notes. Uh, if he's coming to a city near you, he would probably appreciate it if you came out to a reading and uh, found out what his book's all about. Well, 
again, I don't know what's coming out because <laughs> I'm not you, Paul. <laughs> uh, so I'm not looking at uh, the you know the future books. Um, Mm-hmm. I did read a handful of books. You know me, I like I said I don't read a lot of fiction. When I'm looking to for relaxing reads, uh Paul, what do I read? Not history. poetry. History. <laughs> I read history. Um uh, uh-huh. that is my that is my uh my safe space, my relaxation. The first one, it's kind of part history, part uh, science, uh, a book I really loved. Again, we had the author on, uh, Oded Galore's The Journey of Humanity, The Origins mm-hmm. of Wealth and Inequality. Absolutely loved this book. What I would say is, if you liked Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel, or uh, Yuval Harari's Sapiens, this is in that vein but takes a, certainly, it's an alternative narrative to Guns, Germs, and Steel, trying to explain the unequal uh, evolution of wealth in the world today, why um, uh, parts of the world modernized and became wealthy as opposed to others. Uh, And it does have a lot to do with colonialism and political institutions and uh, social structure, but also geographical characteristics. Uh, but one of the points he he makes is diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of people. Uh, it's diversity that drives innovation and drives wealth creation and uh, the ability to do that and uh, to be diverse and collaborate uh, essentially and have a large population and a diverse technological base uh, just led to a phase change over the past 200 years that has made this world entirely different from the world that preceded it. I highly recommend that book. And another history book, an oldie but goodie, which um, I just really, I, I think this is like the second time I've I've uh, listened to the book on walks because it's I, I love ancient history. Uh, I'm sure you've read SPQR, Mary Beard's History yeah, of Ancient Yeah, I think Road. I recommended that one to you. Did, yeah. I I think I, that I did. Yeah, I, I've read it twice. It's just, you know, when I say read, this is a book that I listen to. Uh, I, I love ancient history. I just, uh, I've been soaking it up over the past few years. Audiobooks have really enhanced my knowledge of ancient <laughs> history because it's a big book. But uh, when you have a lot of time in the summer and you want some relaxing reading, this is a good one. Great one, mm-hmm. I should say. One of the best on the subject. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, talking about audiobooks and walking around, that's something I do all the time. And uh, something I would like to recommend to readers, this is not a new book by any means, but Jane Jacobs, uh, The Death and Life of Great American Cities uh, Mm -hmm. is, you know, a classic of urbanism that's seen a revival in the last 10 years or so. But it's really instructive to listen to that book and to walk around a city because you're almost getting, uh, you know, it's almost like having a guided tour of how cities work and how they don't work. And, right. and you know, so like it, it was like having a one-on-one uh, uh, tour from Jane Jacobs. You know, she was in my ear talking about the ideas of cities and how they work as I was walking around Seattle, uh, you know, and, and seeing how it was recovering and not recovering from the pandemic and, and facing all of its different 
different problems and opportunities. And so uh, that's an audiobook experience that I recommend to anybody. Um, and, and in context, stunning insight from a non-expert at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, just stunning insight into how cities work when you when you think about when it was written, what, in the 1950s? Is that right? Yeah. And she she transformed the field, which is, you know, offers hope to all of us uh, non-experts out here. Yeah, I'm a big fan of (laughs) (laughs) non-experts, being one myself. Uh, What else, Paul? Yeah, there's uh, there's recently out in paperback is Michael Forsythe's book, When McKinsey Comes to Town. Uh, That's about uh, the consulting firm McKinsey and all of the economic damage that it has done in the names uh, in the name of uh, creating more wealth for the top one percent. So that's yeah, that's there's uh, a, that's one. There's a whole chapter on McKinsey in Matthew Stewart's nine point the nine point nine percent. He was a former McKinsey consultant. So mm-hmm. uh, that sounds great. Uh, if you don't know what McKinsey is, it's uh, you're, you're <laughs> you don't understand uh, why the world looks like it does today. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a consulting firm to the to the rich and powerful uh about how to get more rich and powerful basically uh-huh. right like that's the the sum up but it's it's a very prestigious firm that uh has seen a lot of great uh you know uh important historical figures go through it and uh yeah maybe holds a little bit too much power which is the sort of the idea behind uh Forsyth's book and uh i've got one other esoteric history book that I read recently. It's a, uh, actually, it's a fairly new book. I think it came out in March. Sarah Bakewell's Humanly Possible, 700 Years of Humanist Free Thinking, Inquiry, and Hope. Uh, it's really, it's a history of humanism. I was interested in it because I think we've talked about it on the podcast. We have, we're describing our economic ideology as market humanism, so we've taken that humanist word. And in reading that book, I also uh, discovered that I myself really am a humanist in the Renaissance Italian sense of the word, in that basically I get to do my work courtesy of a wealthy patron. <laughs> you know, Goldie, uh, the books that you're you're recommending, a lot of them are like weirdly hopeful and optimistic so are, are you slipping <laughs> are you losing your touch you're you're, no, uh, you're promoting no, all these feel-good uh, books uh well here's the thing you got to deceive yourself <laughs> into thinking it's possible to make the world better if you want to go on the dark side paul <laughs> like i said i for those of you who want something darker uh, i get into authors and i got into an author uh over the last year where i read a bunch of his books uh timothy snyder you familiar with mm-hmm. Timothy Snyder, Paul? Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. So if you like want to understand some of the history, what's happening in Ukraine uh, right now, uh, Timothy Snyder's book, The Bloodlands, uh, is, uh, gives you a great uh, history of that region between Germany and Russia and why it has been the source of so much conflict and uh, in his theory, um, uh, kind of the focus of, uh, of Hitler, it was really about colonizing Ukraine and also the focus of Putin <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, so I started reading that just to understand what was going on. And then that led me to his books, 
the road to unfreedom mm-hmm. and on tyranny. Uh, mm-hmm. um, those are both more commentaries on uh, what's going on today. The road to unfreedom uh, talks a lot about the rise of authoritarian governments in uh, Putin's Russia and Hungary and Poland on tyranny, I think is a bit more of a meditation on what potentially could be happening in the United States. And then really, really dark, if you want to go, there's his book, Black Earth, which is, well, it's about, it's about the Holocaust. Again, (laughs) going back to Central Europe. So there, there's the dark stuff, Paul. Yeah, but I have to say I interviewed uh, Timothy Snyder uh, at the height of lockdowns for an online uh, book event for an illustrated edition of On Tyranny. And he was uh, delightful and uh, I would say optimistic, completely charming. So uh, what's your excuse, Goldie? (laughs) (laughs) You can write about dark things and still be a great human being. I I have no excuse. I have... (laughs) Look, I'm uh I'm not a pessimist, Paul. I'm a realist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I know my history. Mm-hmm. So uh there's a lot of uh dark things that happen, but you know, I think there's look, the past past few centuries there's been progress, not a straight line, mm-hmm. uh, but there's overall been progress and I think there can be more progress or I think and this is this is a lot of why we do what we do. I think you we could have total collapse. Uh, I think that's possible, too. And I think if we allow inequality to continue and to continue to grow, that's where we're headed. And I think that's that's a theme in a lot of the books that I've recommended. Um, <laughs> you can you can see that throughout. But all those books are being written as a warning and uh, an instruction on how to make the world better. And that is to um, make things more equal, more just more inclusive, more cooperative, more collaborative. Because as, uh, again, as Matthew Stewart observes in the 9.9%, the rich have this misunderstanding of where their wealth comes from. And it comes from human cooperation. And when we stop cooperating with each other, all that wealth disappears. Wow. You really you really landed that plane. You went to a dark place and you took us out. You really have changed, Goldie. In a good way. This is nice. This is nice. Uh, uh, it's a it's a kinder, gentler David Goldstein. Uh, it's just I what comes it. with age. I'm old now. It's just <laughs> at some point, it's just too much. Requires mm-hmm. too much energy to uh, to be dark all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, like like you, Paul, like me, our listeners are book nerds, and they're always asking for recommendations. So I I hope you all uh, enjoyed what Paul and I had to offer. And you'll let us know what you think of these books. Also, uh, by the way, if you have book recommendations for us, uh, we'd love to hear from you at the usual contacts. You can uh, look for it in the show notes. And in the show notes, you will find uh, a list of all of the books we recommended today. Uh, Again, you can buy them, order them from your favorite independent bookstore. You can get them from your local library. You can buy them from your online oligarch, whichever way you choose. (laughs) 
And, uh, you know, I think that uh, Goldie and I have given you plenty to uh, to stock your nightstand for the rest of the summer. But uh, please do keep in mind this fall that corporate bullshit exposing the lies and half-truths that protect power, profit, power, and wealth in America is coming out uh, from Nick Hanauer, Joan Walsh, and Donald Cohen. Uh, it is available for pre-order anywhere you get your books. And uh, those pre-orders do help get the word out about books. So we'd appreciate your pre-order. Yeah. Thank you so much, Goldie. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll do it again next summer. Maybe so. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.